Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 27 of the Backyard Banter Podcast. My name is Matt Harmon. I'm here with you every step of the way in this little journey that we're taking with this show. And uh, if you've been following along, you know that what we're doing here is we are interviewing some of the best people in the football industry, whether it's writing, uh, video, NFL draft, fantasy football, this, that, or the other. Uh, today, we've got someone from a, from a website we've not heard anybody uh, from yet. We have the senior NFL analyst, uh, or senior, just senior analyst uh, at Pro Football Focus, Steve Palazzolo. Steve, how are you doing today? Doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me. I've, I've listened to um, not all 26 previous, but um, a big chunk of them. I, I like the concept, like what you're doing here. Well, I appreciate that. It would be impossible to actually listen to 26 because I'm peeling back the curtain. I literally just recorded episode 26 about an hour. Like, the, it's on the, the black market show. already, Matt. Oh, wow. You can find it. Yeah, I, man, that is impressive, Steve. Well, clearly your, uh, your, your, your happenings around the internet don't just uh, include football. Clearly, it includes hacking my computer during podcasting, which is, again, very impressive. And I'm flattered by the interest. Uh, I've, never had a, I've never had anybody hack me before, so that's a compliment. But <laughs> Steve, uh, I kind of always start the podcasts asking people how they came to love the game of, of, of football or uh, evaluation and all that sort of stuff. But, and I know you come from kind of a completely different background than anybody that we've had on the show before. So how did you first kind of come to fall in love with the game of football? Yeah. I mean, my background is in baseball and that was my first love, my first passion, um, for, so when I was a kid, 34 now that's rough. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, baseball cards at back of baseball cards, I love stats. I loved, um, following the game that way. So that was my first passion when I was probably about seven years old wanted to learn and know everything about baseball, wanted to become a professional baseball player and actually got, you know, the opportunity to, to live that dream for eight years. And, you know, along the way, I, I, I started to love football too um, during my teenage years, but baseball was always uh, my number one priority. So, you know, my teenage years, I started uh, from the New England area. The Patriots were always terrible growing up. And uh, the team I first adopted actually was the Jaguars in uh, 1996. Oh, wow. Uh, it was the first time I really started watching football, mostly on a weekly basis, and um, loved Mark Brunel and that passing game, Jimmy Smith, Keenan McCardell, and um, approached football in a similar way to baseball, where I loved the stats, the numbers, and um, passing games and, and, and things like that. So I, I picked up the, and then of course, you know, I'm part of the Madden generation, so being able to um, you know, Madden 95, I think was the first game I got addicted to and then got every game since. And, um, you know, a lot of that helped, helped fuel the passion and just, uh, just loved watching the NFL and loved watching college football as well. I love the, um, the dynamics of both. And I love seeing players go from college to the NFL. I think, I think like most of the people that were on here, we're all fascinated by the evaluation process. And I was always fascinated by the evaluation process of baseball and in football, um, so, you know, I played, I played college baseball, went undrafted, played minor league baseball for eight years. And then, um, you know, that was my focus. I mean, everything I wanted to do in my life was to become a, a major league baseball player, put all my time and energy and efforts into that. And especially as an undrafted, uh, undrafted player coming out of college and as a six ten pitcher that still had potential to live up to, I put all my all my passion into learning as much as I could about pitching and maximizing what I could do. So that was kind of my passion in say 2004 to 
2008 was really focused on on that and then i got to a point in my career where i'd made it to to double a and was um kind of knocking on the door to the big leagues and, and had a uh, small injury setback and you know my, my off seasons at that time were were fueled around training and researching and how do i get better at pitching what can i do to get better at pitching every waking moment of my life was 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 that and i got to a point not where i was content but where it was almost um it was almost overkill to to overthink pitching hmm. um as an athlete you know thinking about every little move so the 2008 off season was one where i kind of needed i needed to get away from what i used to do previously i, I got away from what got me to the level that i got to from a from a baseball stand from a pitching standpoint and i said i'm gonna put some of this effort towards just football is going to be my my hobby and i was just always fascinated by the x's and o's and what makes a play work and not work and like i said player evaluation so i slowly switched my say off-season priorities and it wasn't that i wasn't focused on baseball it was just what i needed at that time i needed a a release and um you know by the end by 2010 was the last time i, I got I got released in spring training by the Giants after a year in AAA. Um, got a shot, a quick shot with the Mariners in AAA and AA. Got released by them. Played independent ball for 2000, the rest of 2010, 2011. And then at the end of 2011, I was, I didn't know that I was going to retire. I'd planned on playing in 2012, but um, Pro Football Focus was a website that I loved, always used. They started to make their premium stats. Um, too expensive for me to get at the time. I think they made it a hundred bucks and I wanted, I wanted, I loved the stats. I loved the, the way they broke down players. I love that I could go look at a game and say, look at this linebacker that had three tackles and he played better than the linebacker that had 12 tackles. And the fact that they could define that and, um, and actually quantify that, uh, on a, on a, on a game, game by game basis. So I sent this very simple email, September of 2011, August of 2011. I said, do you guys need help? And they said, yes, we do. And they said, here's a, here's a practice game for our entry-level position. And um, the entry-level position is simply charting who's on the field, what they do. And it's uh, pretty objective, pretty black and white. And I was really good at that. So that, that went a little bit beyond the passion. I can get into that a little bit more. But um, always had the passion, but I had to kind of refocus it a little bit toward the end of my baseball career. And it ended up very luckily turning into a career in football. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, there's definitely a lot of points I'd like to hit on in your story there. But one, just to start off. So you're 6'10". I mean, yes. holy hell, that's that's tall. Because um, I'm 6'3", and I actually have a friend back home who's who's about 6'10". I think he might even be an inch taller than that. But it is incredible. And I'm, it's just funny to me because I'm almost, I'm almost always used to being like the tallest person in a room. When you yeah. get around somebody that's 6'10", it's, and, and as like being 6'3", and I'm looking up at them, I'm just like, my God, I don't, I, I never hardly ever know what it feels like to be the short guy. And then I do. And it's weird. So I just, it's a, it's a different world. You hit your head a lot. You know, a lot of people tell you that you're wasting your life because you're not playing basketball. I get that all the time, <laughs> making, making judgments about my life right in person and uh, in public. That I mean, is pretty offensive, I, but it's easy to walk in and kind of own a room. I imagine is the. Is it, or, yeah. or do you, do you feel like you're kind of too, do you feel like you're kind of too tall and like you kind of stand out too much to own the room? No, I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm content, happy with my height. I'm good. It's, it's more, it's been more, honestly, it's more good than bad. And that was really what kept me going. The fact that I was 6'10", I had somebody tell me when I went undrafted, they said, look, you're always going to be 6'10". You'll always have this opportunity in baseball because just like in football, 
size, speed, all that stuff matters. The fact mm. that I was a 6'10 pitcher, you know, I used to throw 88. So the fact if I could get that up to 91, 92, which I did, I had the opportunity. Whereas if I was, you know, 6'1, probably don't have that opportunity. So I'll take it. More good than bad. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. It's all about uh, it's all about owning your 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 body and everything like that. I guess. Um, but it, it's funny that you you mentioned the the Madden generation, and we've talked about that a lot on on the show. It really is. I found it was something that ignited my passion for football, which really I didn't give it. I was talking. I'm visiting my dad right now. I'm at his beach house in North Carolina, and we were talking about it last night how I really didn't give a, a give a damn about football like as a kid but but there's something about Madden when you get your hands on it and you're able to kind of create the franchise mode and like I think you were you tweeted at Josh a little while ago like that tinkering with the uniforms even even something so simple as that it's so funny how that can really ignite the passion well it's it's unbelievable and you know we have discussions over here now at the PFF office uh, which I'm I'm new to within the last two months um, I think all of us all of us that work in football full time must have at this age must have some kind of story about how we we did franchise mode. I mean, how else can you yeah. duplicate uh, the passion we're talking about franchise mode and and all those different things? And our best player participation guy, again, our entry level position is charting where everybody lines up on the field. And our best player participation guy knows every piece of equipment that everybody in the NFL plays. Uh, you uh, wears so that he can do that live essentially he can have that process done which is probably a six or seven hour process he gets it done live on our um, Sunday night football games and Monday night football games took me quite a bit longer but when I ended up applying for the job they sent me a game they said here fill it out and you need to do it to 99% accuracy and I was able to do it because I was intrigued by who plays in the nickel for the Ravens you know who's the uh, when the Patriots go to three wide receivers, who plays in the slot? You know, who lines up in the backfield in this set and that set? So a lot of that stuff that, you know, I was the the Madden dork that wanted all of the rosters to look exactly right, right and the uniforms to look right, the equipment, all that fun stuff. And that actually helped me with this entry-level position at PFF, which is charting where everybody lines up on the field because that was easy for me. I already knew uh, how to do that stuff because I was already following the NFL with that level of detail. Yeah, that's pretty. It's pretty funny, and it's just something about everything like fires off a different portion of 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 all of our brains, and there is something about that that you know. I mean, like, I think we've all got like all of us like true Madden dorks, and and I haven't even played the game like in the last three years. I just, I just don't. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't either at this point. Yeah, I'm just. Yeah, for sure. Time wise, and just at this point in my life, and you know, it's not to say like I'm I'm better than anybody else, but like I just don't have any interest in video games or anything. Uh, My roommate Alex plays video games all the time i i can't even tell you the last time i actually other than mario kart can't tell you the last time i actually played a real video game but but growing up i mean yeah that it's something about that madden generation like we've all gotten the question uh are you ever gonna actually play games i can't tell you how many times i had friends ask me that question like oh yeah it's, it's fun but so kind of for, for, from your baseball career obviously baseball is a, a very numbers stats heavy thing you know, as a sport, and I don't know a damn thing about baseball. I've said that plenty of times on this podcast. Um, it's it, my brain is already too much consumed with football that, like, if I tried to bring in any other sports, I would shut down and like forget where I live. I and yeah. I, yeah, totally. So, it, and uh, I guess my my question there is like, there's it's a little bit, and, and things are evolving, of course, with the with the current landscape of of the NFL. But I guess probably back when when you were first starting out at pro football focus it's 
football is definitely less of a numbers heavy thing, but do you think that some of the, what part of the baseball background kind of influences your football work now? That's a good question. I, I think it's, you know, you quantify stuff with receivers and I, I just think quantifying anything makes it a little bit easier. You know, the, the brain has a, a great way of remembering highlights and it's why after we grade a, you know, I will go, I will grade a game. So eight hours takes six to eight hours, say to grade a game. Um, and we're looking at every player, every play and grading, how well did they play? And I could come out of that game and think, I think this guy played well. I think this guy played poorly. And then you look at our grades and it's actually a little bit different from the perception. And I should be the expert on this thing. I just watched every play of the game in immense detail. And, but your brain plays tricks on you. It remembers highlights. It remembers lowlights. So when you can at least have something consistent that quantifies it, and you know, I, I just think it's a little bit easier to um, to take biases out of it. Um, you always have to add context to things that are quantified. Um, I think that's uh, an extremely important part of, of the whole deal. But um, I, I think that's that's the biggest thing. Baseball just quantified a whole bunch of stuff and then tried to make sense of it. And I think football is just doing a better job of quantifying more stuff and trying to make sense of it. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's why I do what I do with, like you mentioned with reception perception and because there are some times that even as like, I can totally agree with that where I'm charting a receiver and, you know, I feel like I'm like, man, this guy's doing really, really well. And then I'll tally up everything at the end and be like, oh, that was actually or right. And because like, yeah, and it's something that I preach all the time about negativity bias or, you know, your brain really emphasizing the lows or really emphasizing the highs. And, and that's why I like what you guys do. And, and anybody that's really doing analytics, that's quantifying watching film is because it really does kind of take that, um, that emotional bias and just, you know, puts things on a level playing field. And, and like you mentioned, context is important too, but yeah, totally. I, I agree. It's, it's fun. It's fun to see the end result of that. What what's has there been anything that's kind of changed your opinion of the game since you started doing this sort of work? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think, well, we've got a call in the office that I don't need to take. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything that just off the top of my head. Um, I mean, one thing is it's not so much me changing my opinion, but I think it's finding uh, an opinion that's a little bit different through numbers is just say the value of the left tackle versus the right tackle, which is something I've written on before and, um, you know, harped on in the past. I think the NFL uh, for years decided the left tackle is the most important position because it, you know, protects the blind side of the quarterback and all that fun stuff. But when you break down the numbers of, you know, you know, where is the quarterback's blind side actually? Because if he's thrown to the left, you know, that's where his eyes are and his blind side's all of a sudden protected by the right tackle. And, you know, why, why do scouts say this guy can only play left tackle, but not right tackle uh, because he doesn't have the feet for a right tackle when the reality is, well, the right tackle has to go block Von Miller, Cameron Wake, Justin Houston, Khalil Mack, all of these top pass rushers. Why are you going to put your second best pass protector over there? Um, so, so say something like that, which I could go into probably half hour level of detail about. Um, I don't know that it, it's more something that I've learned through the years by watching the game and then having data to back it up. And I think that's one of the biggest things with what we do is um, we all have theories. I have theories on a lot of stuff based off what I think I've seen, but then you find the data to try to back it up either for or against. And, you know, sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong, but it, it is nice to uh, be able to take a theory and then test it out because you have some uh, some level of data to work with. Yeah, for sure. And 
I mean, I think that if there's one thing in our society and there's plenty of places that you see this in our world, that it's football is definitely one that's like built on, you know, tradition and we've always done it this way. So that's the way we're going to do it. And I would say that, you know, sites like pro football focus are definitely a, a part of kind of testing. Like, but is that really like, is that really important or is that really true? And I would say that that's certainly something that, uh, that you guys do well. Yeah, it's something, it's funny because I saw it in baseball a little bit. You know, I'd be in the, I was one of the few baseball players that was into analytics and it, it worked, it, that works for and against you at times too. Um, because how do I take, you know, the information in baseball is as a pitcher and it's, it should seem obvious even for a non-baseball fan like you, you're not supposed to walk guys as a pitcher and you want to strike out a lot of guys. Now, how do I use that information as a pitcher? Do I, I mean, I don't, do I try harder? Do I, you know, what do I do to improve these things that I know ha- um, are better for long-term success? So I had a feel for that type of stuff. So I, I was one of the few players that, you know, knew about analytics. I actually, at the point where I was closest to getting called up to the big leagues, not that I was, not that they were dialing my number or anything, but the closest I was, I was also in the middle of probably the luckiest stretch from a statistical standpoint in my career. So like, what do I do with that information? Like, i stay lucky. Um, Mm -hmm. And then when I got released, I was in one of the unluckiest stretches of my career. So now I could go back and complain and say, no, I was just unlucky. I'd actually gotten better. Um, So I think it's hard to, I was one of the few players that knew that information and could use it. Um, But, but I think my point is I would, I would be in the clubhouse and hear guys say, you know, they, the first time they used the advanced stat war on TV that I had seen, it was on sports center. And I said, I was in a triple a clubhouse and they said, what does war mean? They put it up and they said, here's this guy's war wins above replacement. And I said, well, guys, that means this is how many wins these guys are worth above us, the replacement guys, the guys that would replace this guy's value. So players had no idea in baseball about some of that stuff. And I think they do now. And I think football is kind of evolving to that point too, where players, um, you talk about this old way of doing things. Well, players don't need to necessarily know the numbers, but I think they're starting to, to understand more stuff now. And coaches, I don't think ever, thought that they needed to know these numbers, but they're out there and it's more information and it's more information that you can use to your advantage or try to use to your advantage. So it's, it's kind of a, a weird catch catch 22, I think within uh, a team structure of the NFL where we work with 22 or 23 NFL teams. Now I forget the exact number, but um, you know, there's front offices that know the numbers and how to use them. And then their, uh, their biggest obstacle is the communication to the coach and, and here coach, this is how you, uh, best use these numbers or these are the numbers that um, that we have that are gonna you know that are helping to shape our opinions and you know some coaches are more receptive than others but I think it's a process just like it was in a baseball clubhouse um, it was I think if I went to a baseball clubhouse now which I haven't been in for five years I think I'd more people would understand what war means just like I think you know NFL players and NFL coaches understand uh, a little bit more on the analytical side of the game than they did maybe five or ten years ago yeah, that makes sense. And I, I think you would agree with me when I say that uh, more data is never a bad thing or more information is never a bad thing. Uh, but I guess for a lot of people that get hung, you know, get hung up on it, uh, if there's kind of the application of the data, what it what it means or or whatever. So where do you think some of you mentioned coaches and I'll start with that because I'm you know definitely going to ask you a little bit about about PFF and everything on yep. here while I, while I have, while I have you here for this hour, while I'm paying you well to be here. <laughs> um, yeah, that check better be in the mail. Absolutely. Uh, I sent a, I sent a Raven this morning, so it'll be there in three Perfect. days. Uh, I think that 
what's kind of the hang up um you think between like the front offices using the the numbers down like down to the coaches what do you think is kind of getting in the way there I think there's I think there's a combination of things um if if there's one thing I've learned um, working with a number of, of organizations and being in meetings with a number of organizations. It's amazing. Um, I don't want to use the word competency, but it's amazing the different levels of usage that each organization has. So for instance, I sat down with one of our organizations that I thought was at the forefront of using our stuff. And, and they are from a front office standpoint, you know, they, they take our data, they throw it into their video system and they're, they're able to do all sorts of unbelievable stuff to help them make better decisions, but they don't, they don't have the best line of communication with their coaches. So I think one of the hangups is the trust between the front office and the coaching staff. So you almost need, you almost need this unbelievable point man in an organization to be able to sit down in a meeting with us at PFF, take our data, understand it, and then take that data, interpret it to a coach and gain the trust of a coach so that they can do something with it. Um, or even do the same thing with the scouting department because a lot of our connections are just the quote unquote analytics guy in an organization where the scouting department says, yeah, I don't, I guess I'll take your information, but I don't care. And other, other scouting departments say, yeah, give me that information. That's extremely valuable. Um, so there's just different levels. So one of the teams that I thought did, did an unbelievable job with our stuff they had such, they had almost zero communication with their coaching staff. So a couple scouting combines ago, the coaching staff came in, it was three guys. And I, I actually took them through our process, how we go through everything and all that stuff. And they came out of it saying, wow, you guys are football guys. You know, you guys understand what you're looking at. You understand what you're doing. And all of a sudden that started to uh, help us or help the, our contact within that organization to, uh, earn that trust of the coaching staff because the coaching staff got to hear from our mouth. Hey, we're not just a bunch of, you know, people that don't know what's going on tracking stuff. Like we know what we're doing. You know, I think we know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and we earned that trust with them. So I think that's one of the biggest things is almost having a guy within the organization that can connect the dots from front office scouting department to, uh, to coaching staff. And I think the, the organizations that use analytics the best, are the ones that have that. And it's funny because I, I see a lot of, uh, I just saw one the other day, a media ranking of which teams use analytics the best. And actually it's the, the ranking is just based off hearsay and what yeah. you see in the media. And it's so different from what you actually have. You know, there's one team on a, on the list that get, gets credit for being very analytical when I just know that they're, they're behind, you know, so to speak. So it's, um, it is funny, but a lot of it is just having that point. Other organizations, you know, some organizations have unbelievable liaisons, so to speak, that could take our stuff and get it to the right people and, and make good use of it. I'd imagine that, you know, organizational clarity is such a huge thing, you know, the, between having a clear message between the front office, the scouting department, and then down onto the coaching staff and even into the players, like knowing what you're all about as an organization, I feel like is incredibly important and probably certainly for this process. The one point in there that I, I found is funny is like that, you know, the, the, the term like, oh, you guys are actually all football, football guys too. And I don't know, I always find that to be like, what, like, what the hell does that even mean? I guess because if there's one thing that I always say, and you know, you can feel free to agree or disagree with me, but I mean, I think the one thing that I always say to people is that, like, the shit's not that complicated. I guess, like, you yeah. know, I mean, there's definitely a lot to learn about football. There's a lot that goes into the game, but it's also not 
it's not something that's you know you're not reading ancient hieroglyphics off the off right. the Egyptian pyramids, and I don't know if you whether you agree or disagree with that statement, but that's why I always find that funny. Well, to do what we do, I think you do need um, intricate understanding of the game, and it's something we're always uh, you know trying to do more of um, because there are other organizations that track stuff. Um, but they're bigger organizations and they do football, they do baseball, they do soccer. And so during football season, they have a guy that tracks football stuff. And they have, during soccer season, they have a guy that tracks soccer stuff and baseball stuff and all that. I mean, our life is football and learning and uh, learning more about football and learning more about each team and, and, and all that stuff. So when we're tracking stuff, I think it does take uh, or when we're grading players, it does take an intricate level of detail. And of course, you know, the, the feedback that we always get is you don't know the play call. You don't know this, you don't know that, you know, you're not in the coaching room, but, um, once the play happens, you have a pretty good idea of what a guy's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always gray areas. There's always, and we always call it maybe a 10 to 15% gray area. Uh, run blocking can be difficult zone blocking in particular. Um, but I think when you watch thousands and thousands of plays, I think you get a pretty good feel for what a guy's supposed to do on a play. And when we're tracking stuff, we just we make it a point to never guess if we don't know for sure. So um, I think to your point, you know, there's there's hours and hours of detail and planning and all of this stuff, game planning that goes on to to run, say, 65 offensive plays on a Sunday. But once that plays run, we have a pretty good idea of what they were supposed to do on that play. I might not know what exactly was said in the coach's room or what intricate detail they added that week. Uh, for the scheme, but if the player tries to, you know, tries to carry it out, if they tries to block somebody in a different way, you know, that whether that took 10 hours of, of planning or not, I'm watching him do it. I'm watching him try to do it. So um, I think that's, that's a part of it. And when we use the term football guys, I think it's just, we're trying to break down scheme and what guys are trying to do and, and really understand the game rather than just blindly, throwing numbers at the wall. I mean, we're, we're, we just had a meeting yesterday with 10 of us, you know, we watched about six outside zone plays in about an hour and a half because mm-hmm. we're just trying to really hone in on the nuances uh, of, of every little bit of that play. And, you know, the other thing I'll say, it's like, it's like, if I, if I said, if you said, who, who, do, who does Dallas like better, Ezekiel Elliott or Jalen Ramsey? And I'd say, I, I think it's Ezekiel Elliott. They picked Ezekiel Elliott over Jalen Ramsey. I saw them do it. And then you could come back and say, well, I don't, you weren't in the draft room. You weren't in the months of meetings. You, you have no idea what they actually talked about before that. I said, yeah, but they like Ezekiel Elliott better because I saw them pick him over Jalen Ramsey. And I feel like a lot of um, just general football plays look like that. I don't know the level of detail that went into planning exactly how we're going to block this particular outside zone against this front. But I just saw you do it. You just kind of, you know, showed it to me by how you did it. So uh, that's how I kind of look at the, there's a lot of nuance and detail to the game, but once plays are run, I think for the most part, you, you could figure out what you're, what you're looking at. Yeah. And I think it informs my perspective a little bit because I'm not, I mean, I, I think I like to again. I'd like to think I know what the hell I'm talking about at this point with with football. But I also am not a you know football guy. I don't come from a football background. I'm a, a you know I don't even know what the hell I am. But uh, you know I I I think it's funny because I I look at so much of player evaluation and uh, organization evaluation, team evaluation, even just offensive defensive evaluation as a behavioral science process because that's my that is my background. You know I was a uh, 
I was, that was my, what my degree was in. That was what I intended to do with my degree after school until I woke up one day and was like, never mind, I'm going to write about football. And so for me, like so much of it is just, is evaluating the individual in the context of what they're being asked to do. And like you said, when you watch enough games, you get a feel of like, yeah, this is what's supposed to happen on the play. Again, that's kind of my, to my point that it's not, uh, it's not something that's, that's not that it's not complicated, but it's not something that anybody can't, you know, that anybody with time and dedication can do. Because I think that for the same thing with, with evaluating human beings, like if you put the time into it and you have some sort of knack for it, you can do it. So I guess that's my, my two cents on that, on that sort of, that sort of thought process. Yeah, definitely. And like, like I said, PFF, I think our, our big thing is always trying to move forward and always trying to learn. So um, we have a, an agreement with, uh, Play a group called the Pro Coaches Network now, and they're going to be. Um, they checked a bunch of our grades and plays last year. They're going to be checking every every play this season because our goal is continued improvement. Um, so I got to sit down and essentially teach those guys our system last month at one point, and it's amazing. You know, they teach us a little bit. Hey, this guy's actually trying to do this on this play, and keep an eye on that. But we taught them quite a bit too because they're co- they're coming from a coaching mentality. And they're watching this guy's technique and a couple other things that we don't really necessarily care about. We're looking at, did you do your job or did you not? Did you, you know, make the block? Did you not? Did you run the right route? Did you not? Um, so he might say, well, that's bad technique. But we're saying, well, he just destroyed a guy on his block. So we're going to give that credit. So it is a good back and forth, but we're always, you know, always trying to improve, always trying to get a little bit better. But the idea of um, understanding the game, I think, just just makes us all better along the way. Yeah, for sure. So we talked a little bit about PFF as a, um, and just since we're on the topic right now, we'll go, we'll go with this conversation as, as it is. So talked a little about, about PFF as, you know, how it relates to NFL teams and coaches, that sort of stuff. But obviously, you guys take a little bit, of, a little bit of heat in the, in the public sector too, whether it's other analysts or, you know, different media. What are kind of your general thoughts about that? Because I don't really know how to lead into that in any other way. <laughs> Are you saying a lot of people complain about our stuff? Is that what you're trying to say? I'm saying that there might be some complaints about 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 PFF in, in one way or another. I don't know if you're aware of this. I don't know whether you've just yeah. muted every every like every factor on Twitter, <laughs> which yeah. I know you have not. I have our um, PFF account. I have the mentions uh, right next to mine, so I I see every last every last bit. So. Um, yeah, there's there's obviously a lot of negative feedback because I think we we claim to do something that a lot of people don't think is possible. Um, we we say we evaluate every player on every play, um, and um, and it's funny because it's that it, the PFF started by our founder Neil Hornsby, who is from London, and you know th- that's the that's like the underdog story of PFF, a guy from London with three other guys in Europe built this company into what it is to the point now that we're all relocating to Cincinnati and Chris Collinsworth and invested in it. And, you know, we're trying to make it even bigger than it is, but that's kind of the underdog story, but it started because Neil was so mad. And I've heard you say this before, because, you know, you, you're telling me this guy's good, but I don't see it, you know, announcer, you're telling me this is happening, but that's really not what's happening. So it was like, Neil went to this ridiculous length to prove everybody wrong and he feeds off when people tell him that he can't do something. So there's no way you can evaluate every player on every play in the NFL. And I feel like we've gotten to a point where we do a pretty good job of it. So, I, you know, that was kind of the crux of what what led into things. But I think that's where the negative feedback comes from is because 
when you do that, you have an opinion. So obviously we have to, we put out a grade that says, this is how well the guy played. Um, that's how our system has evaluated this particular player. And it's a, it, essentially it's an opinion, you know, it's coming from us. It's an opinion. And then people comment on that, whether it's, uh, you know, Johnny diehard fan on a Monday morning saying, I just watched this game. What are you looking at? This guy was way better than you just said. Or whether it's the general manager of a team or a coach trying to protect their players, which by the way, I would do as well. If, if one of my guys just got a terrible grade and, you know, reporters are asking me about it on a Tuesday morning, I would defend them too and say, well, PFF doesn't know what they're talking about. Of course, take it with a grain of salt. Um, but you know, that's, I think that just comes with the territory. It's part of what we do. Um, and I think the only thing that we could do is, uh, continue to educate and further explain our process. I think that's something we can always do a better job of. I try to be as cordial as possible on Twitter when responding to people and say, look, this is what we're seeing. You know, it's not, we're not inherently biased against your team. I know everybody runs into that. Uh, we're not inherently biased against this player. Uh, whatever, if you're asking us to add different context to it, yes, we, we encourage using context. Hey, this guy had a negative grade, but you know, he had a bad hand and you know, it was raining and this, yeah, add context any way you want, but we also have to stay true to the system that is evaluating players. So yeah, there's plenty of negative feedback, both from in, on the media side, from a fan perspective, there's feedback, you know, there's positive and negative feedback within the NFL. Um, that's, I think that's natural. We've, I've, I've had to sit down with general managers who say, what, you know, what do you guys do? Um, and there's only been very rarely have I come out of a meeting where even our biggest detractors, uh, I'm talking general managers who say, you can't do what you do and you don't know what you're doing. I've never come out of a meeting where they have not at least respected our process, respect the level of detail that we go into. Um, I've, I've been in one meeting where um, a guy was not receptive, but hmm. a, a prominent name within the football industry. I won't go into who it was, but there was only one person that essentially came out of a meeting and had, uh, had just as little respect for us as he did before, but I don't think he wanted to learn it anyway. So that was kind of his old school mentality, but almost everywhere else, I think we've, we've earned the trust and the respect of, of plenty of people both around the league and with fans too. I think Twitter in what we do no fans are going to tweet at us and say, Hey man, those are great grades, you know, great grades on my team yesterday. That's exactly what I saw. We get one of those for every 20, you know, negative tweets. And uh, it's more just the nature of what we do because we're saying this is what happened. And sometimes it doesn't, like I said earlier, it doesn't match up with the eye test all the time or in the eye test is often the highlight test in the brain, you know, what your brain remembers. So if it doesn't match up with what you think you saw, we're going to hear about it. Um, but I think you stay true to the system and you, uh, I think we've had pretty good results through the years too, as far as, you know, define, you know, showing which players are good and which players are, are maybe a little overhyped. Yeah, for sure. And, and like you mentioned, it's an opinion, you know, it's, it's something that's out there. And I think the, I think the tough part, what people, what people get up in arms about whenever you're evaluating or grading a player is that you're putting it out there as like, Nope, this is, you know, the Bible of, of this or that or the other. And I think that, you know, I've gotten, I've gotten heat about that plenty of times with like reception perception. I'm like, listen, this is just, this is just my, this is just my opinion. I just happen to think it's a good, you know, and I'm sure, you know, you guys feel the same well, way. You have, to, you believe in your opinion, right? You can't be right. like, hey, hey, here's my opinion that I think is 20% correct. You know, like, right. you have to believe in what you're putting out there, of course. 
especially when it's a detailed like methodology and process, you know, then exactly. you have to believe in the process. You have to believe in, in all that. And uh, otherwise, why the hell are you doing it? You would just write traditional scouting reports like anybody else. I'm like, yeah, right. this is an opinion that I believe in. And I just happen to think it's presented and, and quantified in a better way than the points about that he's good at this or bad at that, you know, or whatever. Right. And, and I think that people get caught up in that. And I mean, yeah, there's always con- and context is important. And I think that you guys wouldn't deny that or anything either that, that, that it is important. So kind of, what I think my brain is working around here. Uh, do you ever get kind of frustrated with the way that outsiders that aren't, you know, PFF, whether it's media or fans or whatever, wh- how they use the grades or the data in order to do something? Has there ever been a situation where you've been frustrated by that? Um, yeah, but more on like a, on a smaller scale level. Um, you know, it's difficult because the the easiest way for people to consume our stuff is in one number, right? I mean, I do this, I, I work hours and hours and hours a week. So if you try to, so if I was to try, I have the time to go find the context. Where did it come from? Which games did it come from? Did it all come from one or two games? So I have the time to go find that context. Most fans don't. So it's easier to consume in one number. So when a lot of people just throw a number out there and say, this guy's a plus 28, therefore he's awesome. And I'm like, actually, you know what? He did that against you know, in, in only two games against these two guys, like I know the added context. I have intimate knowledge of the of the process and stuff like that. So I can understand why people actually get frustrated by people just taking that one number and running with it um, and using that as um, the only way to define a player because I think as an evaluator, you know, the numbers, the it, it's big. It, it, it puts you in a ballpark. But if one guy's, you know, a couple points away from another guy, it doesn't mean that so much better by a couple points you know it's 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 a very small uh limited difference so i think it, it, on a small scale uh, on a small scale when i hear stuff it's more i try to add whatever context i know and that i can add um to make people understand it a little bit more i think that's where i get frustrated um i do get frustrated when people we're talking about or we don't know this or that sure. because i don't think they understand the um like i said the level of detail that we've gone to the the sit downs we've had with former nfl coaches where they've come out of it absolutely amazed that we can evaluate players at that level of detail you know down to the you know this block that block and uh the various things that we do so that would be the mo- i think that would be the most frustrating part is when uh, the work that we do whether you agree or not i mean i we have internal discussions all the time about players and grade came from and just how valuable his skill set is versus another one. We always debate players all the time, but the most frustrating parts is um, little bits here and there and then people trying to diminish what we do. Yeah, I think so. And, and the, the, like you being able as the analyst to, to add the context, you know, and that's like, that's your, that's your job. You know, that's, that's our job. That's our, that's our jobs. Like, oh, yeah. you know, I can, I can tell, like, I can show you plenty of reception perception charts, but it's like my job as an analyst to be able to then convey that like through writing in a, in a reasonable manner. And of course, a lot of people don't like to read or don't like people to go don't want to read the writing. They just want, just give me the list, man. Just give me the yeah. top 10. And, and I don't care about what your reasoning is. I mean, it's like the, you know, people read the, read the headline all the time. So-and-so is not good, but you know, you give this, 
three paragraph explanation of what he needs to improve upon and how close he is, but people read, well, he, you said he's not good. <laughs> you know? mm, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so kind of just one last question on the, on the PFF thing. And then I promise we'll move on. We'll, we'll take the exhale and we'll, we'll talk about you. Um, I, I think, I think the one thing that I've never, like, cause I've, and I'll, you know, I'll admit I've had plenty of questions about, uh, about, about PFF and this and that, but I have questions about everything. I have questions about why my dog does what he does. Uh, so I, I think, but the one thing I've never really been up in arms about, but that other people are is like, and it kind of plays off that, uh, that you know you having the being able to have the context is the fact that you guys you know obviously took away the premium stats or, to, or the things aren't available to the public like they used to be i've never been bothered by that because i'm like yeah dude that's what that's that's business man but do you do you ever find yourself like do you ever find yourself kind of con- in those situations where people are frustrated about that and how do you react to it yeah i mean to be to be candid you know we we made a decision last year to take our $27 premium stat product and pull it because we thought it was more valuable in other spaces. Uh, those other spaces being, we actually had NFL teams, every NFL team at least had a $27 package. All 32 teams had that. Then we have 22 other clients that pay for about, I mean, that's about 2% of what they pay for. I mean, they're paying for our database and integration into their video system and all this other stuff. Um, so it wasn't necessarily hindering NFL sales, but we had teams that, they needed to keep up with what players are doing. So they, they subscribed. Um, and then we had networks and, and bigger entities that um, ultimately would pay a lot more than $27 for it. So um, it was a business de- business decision that we had to make. And to be honest, I, I was mad about it because I thought that we had built up a pretty good fan base, but um, ultimately I was proven wrong. And I, I would look at it like this for the people that are up in arms, I would say, <laughs> because I used to be that person. I told you I joined PFF because it from free they uh, they went from free to a hundred dollars and i just wanted these stats i'm like i'm just a fan i'm a minor league baseball player i make you know 1200 bucks a month playing baseball and we only get paid five months a year i'm not paying a hundred bucks for this thing um so i joined the company so ultimately it was a good move by them i think they got they got my services but um so i've been on the other side of it too as a fan but i would say for those that paid 27 dollars for it you were getting something that we've just discovered in the past year was actually worth thousands sold it for a much higher price. And you know, that's, it it was, it's a difficult business decision, but um, it's one that we kind of had to make. And I think the way we tried to make up for it was in our writing and really trying to advance what we do um, on the media side of things and putting more of our analysts into writing and videos. And as you mentioned earlier, adding context to our numbers. So I think that's where we are right now as a company is it's our job to to try to educate with our stuff as much as possible, even though um, you can't necessarily subscribe to it uh, right away. So I, I I understand the angst, and you know we're we're doing some other things. We have some other things in the works. I think we're we're going to open it up to um, certain people in certain places. Um, but it's it's a product that was worth way more than twenty seven dollars, and it was ended up and it was proven. Uh, within the last year that it's worth a lot more than $27. So I think that's just um, kind of the nature of doing business. And I know it's, I know it's difficult for maybe the common fan at times, but I think we're trying to build some other things that, that hopefully can, can make up and uh, fill that space. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, it's never something that 
like bothered me because it's just yeah that's you're in you're you're doing everybody's doing things to to make you know to make a to make a profit off it man and like if this is a bit if this is a decision that helps you guys i mean shit then do what you got to do <laughs> um but so steve i will this will be the end of the pff grilling section of the podcast that's all right i'll I could do it all day, man. I like. I mean, I I love our company. I love where we're going, and I understand the uh, the questions that come with it. Oh no, for sure. But I think you did a good job of of answering them, and I, I appreciate you being uh, being candid. And um, if you if you pick up anything of my vibe, it's not, I'm not I'm not much of a uh, an attacker. If there was a different podcast host, I'm sure they could go at you for hours and hours and hours about this stuff. But uh, you know, I do I do similar I do somewhat similar work. To, to you guys as well too as far as just chart like charting things for one position so i get like i some of the things you know like i've said i've had my criticisms and my questions and this that and the other of, of and i'm sure you guys would have the same with me um i know there's several there's a few players that we've disagreed on and i, I but to me it's just like I, I so i get some of what you guys i get some of what you guys get and it, you know it is what it is i'm obviously a little bit of a smaller entity too is in terms of like i'm not a big company where uh Nobody's nobody's paying nobody's paying thousands of dollars for the reception perception results. I'll tell you that. Um, but someday, never know. Yeah, you never know. Um, but it, it is what it is. But so, Steve, I kind of wanted to focus a little bit more uh, on you as an individual analyst here for for a little bit. You mentioned writing and adding more context, of course, which is important. We talked about, but how do you think that you because you kind of come from a baseball background and being really analytics heavy. How, how has your writing developed in terms of like as a craft or being able to explain things? Is that something that was a natural instinct for you or did you have to kind of learn it? Yeah, I think, I think I always kind of, I'm not saying it's natural. I don't think I'm a great writer. I think I, I can write with say the PFF tone, so to speak. I think I know how to take and uh, interpret it so that it, I think so that it makes sense um, to the common fan and say, you know, here's what we've seen. and and here's what it means. Um, so I think I've, I think I've done an okay at interpreting our data through writing. I wouldn't say that I'm a great writer, so to speak, but you know, when we hire people, when they hired me in 2011 as a part-timer doing that player stuff, writing was always just a, a side job for us. It's, you know, do a couple games, get paid by the game. And Oh, by the way, you can write some game recaps and you can write a couple things as they come up. And I think if you go back and see my work in 2011, when I first got hired, there's a, you know, it's, it's better. I hope it's, I think it's, I think it's evolved, but I think it's more about, um, from a football sense, it's knowing what you're talking about. I mean, if, if you just watched, you know, all of the receivers in the draft class, you should have really good knowledge of those guys. And then how well can you portray that information? I think that's the more I've understood our system, how we grade, how we do stuff, the better I've become as a writer because I have uh, more intimate knowledge of our system and can then uh, convey those thoughts. So I think that's been the biggest thing. And it, you just you continue to develop to develop um, in part based off just how your how your knowledge increases and and just how hard and how hard you work. I mean, if I if I try to write or if you tr if you tried to write about the receiver draft class and you just watched one game of each guy, you're not going to have as much you're not going to have as much to write about. You're not going to have as much knowledge to actually put on, you know, to type, you know, to, True. to, to display to people. So I do think the harder you work and the more information you can gather, uh, the better you'll become as well, because you just have. 
Yeah, for sure. So what what was it, Do you, in your opinion, or if somebody's actually told you, uh, what was it that you think that set you apart from being just, you know, the, the run of the mill, you know, basic player participation charter to now being, you know, a senior analyst, it's in the title. And you, you we were talking about this before we started recording, you're going to be like managing the, the college football team. What has it been about you that has helped you make that? continual progress jump up yeah that's a good question pffs evolved so much since i first joined and you know in 2011 we had four full-time employees and we had 15 part-time player participation analysts that was my recruiting class so to speak um and then in 2012 i I got my first full-time job i was the fifth full-time employee with the company and now we're closing in on 50 60 70 i don't even know where we are with just full-timers and hundreds and hundreds of part-timers. So I think to get to that point, I think it was what I, what I said earlier was I took that passion that I had, which used to turn toward getting better at baseball. I reached, you know, refocused it on learning everything I could about football. I think that was me is, you know, when we evaluate um, our part-timers now, it's, you know, how much, how much work are you doing? How much, so it's how many games are you doing? How much writing are you doing? How much, are you conveying your thoughts to us that you know what you're talking about? And I think initially I did a good job of um, conveying that to the four people that were full, that were full time at the time um, that I wanted to learn everything I possibly could about our system, how to grade it, how to, you know, how to evolve it. You know, that's been a big thing too. our, our lead analyst. I think he, he has moments where he absolutely hates me because I'm thinking, because I always tell him, Hey, we could do this a little bit better. We could do this a little bit better. We could add this to the process. So I've helped shape the process through my own and my own passion for, for what we're doing. So, um, like you said, you don't have room in your head for other sports. And I was a baseball guy and I don't know anything about baseball because my passion is knowing every single thing about every college and NFL player right now that I possibly can. Um, so, if you could put that type of dedication and passion toward, toward what you're doing, I think that's how you, how you get ahead. And I think that's how I initially earned a full-time job here. And that's how I've been able to, to grow within the company. And um, it's been fun to watch the company evolve from a small, it's been a, it was a small company where there was really six or seven of us running the place from editing articles to doing the player participation, to doing the analysis, to doing the writing to the point where we could now have more um, focused jobs where again, I can, I can college process or NFL draft process and I could trust other people to do some of the other stuff. So that part's been fun, but I think, you know, the, the six or seven of us that, that helped shape the company, it's because we did a little of everything and we worked ridiculous hours. I mean, our, our in season hours would be Sunday to Sunday at one through night. I mean, I, slept three hours a night and we were working nonstop. And that's just how we built the company to be where it is. And that was the type of work ethic uh, that we had as a company to kind of get where we are. So I think that's all been, all been a big part of it. And uh, we try to hire people that have that same mindset that have that same passion. And I think that's uh, where we end up finding our best people. Yeah. It's funny. People ask, you know, ask me how to, how, how do you get, how do you get ahead and not even just how do you get started, but then how do you progress in the industry? You know, and I was, it's sometimes it really is as simple as being the hardest working man or woman in the room, you know, like just be the, and, and when you're also, when you're the hardest working, 
working person, people will know it. They'll know they'll, they'll you know they'll know that you're all about it. You don't have to you don't have to remind everybody if you really are working that hard. <laughs> by the way, um, no so bosses bosses have a funny way of knowing what you do and knowing how much you produce. I mean, find out what what your boss is most passionate about. Do it. You know, like our my bosses and or the people that that run PFF are passionate about getting games done quickly and accurately. So that's what we focus on the most. And the people that are the quickest and the most accurate, I'm not the quickest, but I feel like I'm, I'm pretty accurate. But the guys that are the quickest and the most accurate, simple. I mean, find out what, what makes your boss's life easier and be the best at that. And that gets noticed and that's where, that's where you move up. It's tough to fake it. It certainly is. Unfortunately, in NFL media, they always talk about snackable content. And if there's one thing I'm bad at, it is the snackable content. Yeah. Like, I'm a big long form writer. So that's why Matt Harmon will always be at the little low levels of the, of the fantasy world. But uh, <laughs> that's a topic. No, for- Matt, you find out you get better at it. You take your weakness, get better. at. I don't care what Josh Norris says. Weaknesses can become strengths. You go figure <laughs> out a way to, you know, make better snackable content and, and do a lot of it. And you get noticed. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, I'm going to definitely make that the title of the episode. I don't care what Josh Norris, Steve, episode 27, Steve Palazzolo. I don't care what Josh Norris says. That is a perfect Uh, title. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Steve, just a few more questions here as as we're winding down. I really appreciate your time. Um, If there's there's one thing I, I know I've kind of noticed about you and, and uh, you kind of have a little bit of a different vibe on social media. I feel like, and again, tell me I'm an idiot. If I am, normally people do. Uh, I feel like you kind of have a little bit of a different vibe on social media than the rest of the PFF guys. What? And again, I could be totally wrong, but I don't know. You just, you give off a very chill, you know, normal person sort of vibe. Uh, what, what, how, what goes into your approach with, with social media, especially because like you mentioned, people don't always like what, what you have to say. I, I think, I think you have to trust. I saw, I heard you say this on one of the other podcasts, right? Stay, stay true to yourself, right? If, if you come across as defensive, if you come across as argumentative, I, I just don't think you need to do that at this point. I mean, again, in, in, to be candid, in the past, I think when I started with PFF, we were like, um, we, you know, we were trying to make a name for ourselves. And I think when, when a big media person would say, well, that's stupid, you know, what, what, is, what does PFF know? We would kind of have to rally the troops and say, well, here's what we know. We grade every player on every play, and we know what we're doing and all this stuff. We'd almost have to you know, stand up for ourselves, little brother. Um, and I'm not saying we've arrived or anything close to that, but I think we've also evolved to the point where we, we get more, you have more followers, you get more criticism. I don't think it's increased as a percentage, but you get more criticism, and you have to understand that comes with the territory. But now, not only do we get more criticism, but we also have more people defending us. And, you know, we have 200,000 Twitter followers, and I'm not saying every single one of them um, loves us, but you have a few of them step up and say, no, I've, I've seen their work through the years. I trust it. You know, they, you know this, they, they, they put the hard work in. They've seen more than you have, you know, whatever, however they position it. So where in the past, I think we had to take this defensive, uh, I feel like we've evolved to the point where, um, we do have credibility. So every time people tell us we've lost our credibility every single week of the NFL season from an Aaron Rodgers slight negative grade when he threw five touchdowns to whatever it is. Um, but we stay true to the process and I don't think we've lost credibility. I think we've increased it um, both with fan bit with fans and within the NFL. I know that. So um, I try to take that approach and say, and 
And I think the more I can explain, I mean, I, I got, I get into arguments all the time about player evaluation because I think this player is worse than you think he is. And here's why. And I think if the more you explain your thought process, you know, the, the more people respect you, even if they don't agree with your take and, and it's okay to, to disagree and it's okay for uh, big names or small names to disagree. Um, so I, I, I try to take that approach and, and I also take the approach that every single one of the people that I interact with is a potential customer, a potential reader and a potential person that um, I don't want to say can be swayed, but if you just go on the attack and on the defensive, that person might not come back, read your work, read and uh, or become a potential customer, however you want to put it. So uh, I think you earn a lot of respect when you when you handle things the right way. And I, I, that's how I've tried to approach it. And that's how I try to get some of our other analysts to approach things as well is trust our work, believe in it. Um, but, you know, explain, explain what we see and, and how we see it. And um, I think a lot of people respect you more uh, in the long term. Yeah, man, like, absolutely. If there's one thing that 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 annoys me is when like you see you see writers like be rude to their their followers or whatever i'm like dude these are the guys keeping the food on your table man like <laughs> these are your readers you know i guess so for me i i i appreciate that approach and i've also said several times on the podcast like my distaste lately for debate that goes yeah well i think this well yeah well i think that and i'm just just not interested in in doing that but like that's what i respect about about you on on Twitter and and other people like that is that you know it's it's more about like explaining things and and putting context behind it and and going into detail less this less so than getting into like a I don't know what I would think of as like a traditional debate but but that's just me Steve kind of final 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 two questions here one I've been asking people lately on the uh on the show what's something that you see in the industry uh maybe not PFF related but just in general um that you see that you don't really like I think the only thing I don't like is when people of each other, you know, similar to you know, not treating each other with, um, I see, here's what I see within the industry. I see people that the intention for, for this podcast is for up and coming writers and for, for new people and, you know, people trying to get into the industry. I guess the one thing I would say that I don't like is when people disrespect each other people that can do something for them down the road and you know so we're pff we work with espn we have an agreement with espn we do some insider stuff if i went out there and i was tweeting negatively post something and you know even though not every, it's not like everybody at espn knows me i'm writing with their insider team so i know some time you know mel todd mcshay john Gruden, and offer that what does that do for me you know that's that's espn that's a potential partner it's a current partner it's a, it makes no sense um at the same point you know pff is a company that young writers and young people at some point down the road so when you are critical of us yeah. um, we see all of that it, everybody's at these different levels. So, you know, you're at the NFL. If people are going to be critical, you, you mentioned it before, Daniel Jeremiah and who that stuff. And, and that resonates with me. I've seen it with agents, to be honest, too. Work with agents. We are agents' best friends. Information that their client is good, then they love us. But if they're critical of us along the way, 
down the road, they're like, hey, give me some information about my client, about how good he is. I'm, I, why am I going to give that to you if you were critical right. to us on social media? So if, if there's one thing, I think it's that and showing respect and and just not, it's not even burning bridges, but it's just disrespect to people that could eventually uh, open you out down the road, but you never know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the thing. You never know what another person can do for you. And I think that is a super important point for sure. Uh, Steve, well, I really appreciate your time today. This is this has been fantastic. Uh, I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Um, but I always give the guest one last shot at the floor before I yank it out from under you. So the and floor I- is yours to say whatever, whether it's advice to aspiring writers or people in the space or, you know, whatever is on your mind, the floor is yours. I never, I never know what to say. And none of your guests have really loved this part of it, right? No, From but I keep, but I, but I keep doing it. I don't. You care. still do it. I don't know. I, I just think a, a summation of everything we've talked about. I love this concepts that you have here, and I know it's. I think it's attracted all different types of listeners. And and outside the industry, I think there's a lot to. I've learned a lot from from listening to you guys too. Um, everybody's coming at it from a slightly different angle. I think there's a lot of just general business um, be learned from a lot of this stuff. So, you know, harping on the last point I made, respect social media. Uh, one thing I learned early in my baseball career is if you want to connect to quote unquote important people, you can just kind of do it. You know, I mean, when I first got into it, um, big name in baseball, and I simply emailed him and asked him to look at my mechanics and he ended up getting me my first job with the Milwaukee Brewers. Essentially, he set me up with a, a tryout with them. And um, Will Carroll, that I said, wow, he responded to me through email. And um, can I name pitching coaches early in my reaching out? And I think it's it's easier to do that nowadays with social media. It was a lot harder in, say, the mid-2000s where you'd have emails and however, whatever. But, um, you know, reach out, connect, and, and you never uh you know what how that's going to work but try to try to network as best you can using all of this uh, social media but of course like i said do it in a respectful way and do it in a way that it's good light on you into a podcast earlier today with yogi roth the lead 11 when they when they talk to these quarterbacks they say what of yourself as a person who are you as a person and the quarterback will describe who he is and then they'll go through his social media and they get a completely different vibe from what this guy wants to be you say you're this you're do this and that well you just tweeted about the party you went to and whatever so the social media is probably more important than your actual resume nowadays so treat that as such and whichever however you want to be portrayed good bad don't be portrayed. I think you have to, you know, treat social media like that. And I know it's, it's uh, not always fun, but important stuff. Goals uh, are. I think that's that's important stuff today, and it's a lot different than it was ten years ago, and it's going to continue to evolve. It's it's your that social br- blueprint, so to speak, or you know that um, your track record uh, is really important. So I think that's all all important stuff. And I guess that's my, my parting words of. 
Absolutely. Well, hey, present the self that you uh, you'd like people to to see of you. I think that is the that is the message behind social media. Well, Steve, again, thank you so much for coming on today. This was again a, a real big treat for me. Um, and everybody, make sure to keep up with Steve and and the PFF team. I know that uh, they just moved into this nice big office that I'm looking at here on the other end of the Google Hangout, and this, so they have a lot of big things coming and. Um, I think I think hopefully, if you've listened today and you've had some questions about PFF, I think Steve did a really good job of answering them. So this so this was a lot of fun. Um, and to you all, you listeners, thank you so much for tuning in every week and putting up with me. I uh, really appreciate that. And of course, if you would continue to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, share the show, all those little self promotional things that I have to say here at the end. There they go. They're out. But again, thank you all so much for listening, and I hope you learned something today.